This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 158 of the Healthy Critters Radio on Horse Radio Network. Healthy Critters Radio is brought to you by Biostar US. Find them online at biostarus.com. On today's show, we discuss reducing drama around our animals with Lizzie Meyer. The critter of the show is the great gray owl. In Critter Nutrition, we focus on protecting the gut from herbicides and pesticide exposure. And in Coffee Clutch, we ask, what superpower does your horse or dog think you have? Join us. Tigger. And I'm Patty. And this is Coach Jen. I'm here in charge of interrupting people when I shouldn't today. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 three, the, uh, the three amigos here, we get together a couple of times a month and get to geek out on all things healthy and critter. A wide assortment of critters and an even wider assortment of aspects of health. Mental, physical, mm. uh, philosophical, emotional. emotional, you name it, we've got it. So yep. this is the part of the show where we always chat with each other, kind of get warmed up, get the, get the kinks worked out of the technology yep. every time we do a show. And, uh, and Patty actually had an interesting topic to bring up, thinking of, speaking of working the kinks out. Uh, yeah. and, and what was that topic, Patty? Well, I just was curious is if everybody, I don't have a long drive to work. I could walk to work if I had to. And I was just wondering, like, are y'all driving less? Because the gas prices are insane. <laughs> How about you, Pat Tigger? I am not driving less because I already made deep cuts in my driving. Mm-hmm. So oh, okay. Um, Before all this happened, or yes. just in general? Okay. Yes. As usual, Tigger's ahead of the curve. It gets irritating. Yeah, be friends with her for like it, half your life. It's <laughs> environmental, you know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that 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 was my motivation, and yeah, I'm not happy about gasoline prices for sure. But I, you know, it's it's a global situation, and we're part of the global economy, and you know, we've been through inflation before. So I, I'm one of those people like, okay, just ride it out like we didn't twenty years ago, and it'll it'll regulate itself. This too but, shall pass. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I did a little bit of math yeah. the other day. The where we live in town now is considerably further away from the hay stores and feed stores and tax shops than where we lived previously. So I did the math and to drive up to the feed store and get hay and come back, which I have to do every 10 days or so, uh, costs me the dollar amount. Of a bale of hay. Mm. Yeah. Wow. That was that. And the bale of hay. Is, wow. Yeah. And th- then that's a, a $20 bale of hay. So it's $20 worth of fuel to drive to the feed store and back. Holy cow. Days. Yeah. Because it's it's a, wow. just about 40 miles round trip to get to the oh. hay store. And, and because we have a very small storage area, we, c- we can't get much more than 
about 10 days worth of hay at a time. So from, I definitely think twice before I, I leave the driveway. What can I, what can I combine mm-hmm. together? Wow. You know, that kind of thing more, much more so than I did six months ago. Before. Yeah. Interesting. Oh, wow. Yeah. Just, yeah. I try I, to I, only be in my car two days a week. That's it. Yeah. The rest of the time it just sits. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're not, yeah, pr- I, we're not prone to, to going on jaunts anyway, but now even when we're doing errands, we try to try to get all the errands. But the hard part with if you have to get hay, you can't get hay if it's pouring down rain. That doesn't work no. out. So if the day you you run all the rest of your errands, it's rainy, or the day it's not raining, you don't have time to do all the errands. You only have time to go to the feed store. Then it creates two trips in your life. So yeah, that and I I've like you said, this too shall pass. We've gone through this whole process before. Yeah, the last yeah. time around that fuel went bonkers price wise. Uh, yeah, and I'm a lot. I'm less stressed about it because, like you said, we've been through this before. Settle down, deal with yep. it. Life yep. will go yep. on. It yep. will be slightly it will painful, but we'll be fine. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's funny because the last time we went through this, um, I did d- drive a little bit more than I do now. But I, it's funny. I'm listening to you guys. You're so you plan things out. I just would do without I, I like i just go to the barn and come back and then i just wait for my husband to come home and he will but we're we don't drive a, we just don't drive a lot i mean i um i could walk to the barn if i needed to um so i'm i'm, I'm really quite fortunate that way um but i never think about it like i don't think about it i, I wouldn't have thought about it like you would have tigger i i mean i have i have since i've moved here been driving considerably less of course. Than I was. Yeah. You know, which is yeah. awesome. Think about it. Um, I mean, I um, I go like on Sundays. Sundays are my biggest days out. <laughs> Just a big day out for me. I go to church. I go <laughs> get my car washed. <laughs> I go to Walmart to buy plants or whatever, and then I come home. And then you go so, home. You know, that's all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that's sp- it. speaking of um, just relax, settle in, go with the flow, create, don't create extra drama in your life. Why don't we get a hold of our guest, Lizzie Meyer, and uh, see how she weighs in on drama in our lives. Excellent. We are at our roundtable portion of Healthy Critters, and our topic today is reducing drama around our animals. And our guest um, in our roundtable is our good friend, Lizzie Meyer. She has been on the show several times. Lizzie worked for Biostar at Biostar's infancy and then went on to be a certified vet tech and then went on to really become a a very um, important voice for integrative and holistic health for animals. And I'm happy to say Lizzie is back with Biostar, focusing on the canine um, part of our business. And Lizzie and I, because we've been together and worked together for so many years, she's kind of like my little sister. Um, And so I'm thrilled to have her because she has experience and um, education in areas that I don't. So she is a really important voice 
for the animal and and for humans. So thank you, Lizzie, for jumping into Healthy Critters Roundtable. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Very excited to have this topic today. So before we started, um, Patty and I were chatting about the topic, and Patty said how timely it was. Amen. <laughs> so, Patty, do you want to elaborate a little bit on, on what you see the drama around our animals is? Well, you know, you know how we all go through stages of life in our barn life or animals life and whatever. And for me, because I am a full-time trainer and have been doing this for um, less than 50 years, more than two, <laughs> a few, um, you know, I, I have always been, um, I, I, I not, not as aware as I am now, but just, uh, you know, it just, I, I've always been so into the animals needs and trying to make sure that you fulfill them. And just recently, there's been some stuff that's come across my desk <laughs> that has been really hard. Um, I have a, a, a woman that has uh, um, three horses that two of which she's in full training with me. Um, and the, this one horse she had was just absolutely going through some very weird things. He was, you know, she ended up like, at regionals, like just killed it. And then about three weeks later, the horse wouldn't go forward and he was pinning his ears and blah, 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 blah. So, you know, we, we went through some medical stuff, but to me in the back of my mind and in my, my gut, I kept thinking, where did this stem from? Yes, I do think it was something physical, but I also felt like it was the intention of how he was being trained. And this was a trainer that was coming to me about some of this stuff. And so it was very hard for me to figure that out, but I had definitely reached out and was like, yeah, you know what? Um, to the owner, I don't like how this is being handled. Try to do this. And then to find out there was another horse in her life that was actually, um, dare I say, I mean, just kind of traumatized. Um, and not like it was anybody's intention to do this, but this horse is so emotionally, um, I don't even know the words. I mean, he's just sort of, he's an older horse. The, the owner, um, was going to sell him but couldn't, which I love that about, I love that about her because it's definitely her horse, but she, he's just, he's, I don't want to say he's shut down. He's screaming for help, screaming for help. And so we had put this new thing in play and come to found, find out that the, the more recent trainer is having some stuff go on. Um, and so my concern is that this horse is sort of opening himself back up. I mean, Tigger, I know that you've gone through this, Lizzie. I'm sure you have a thousand times where you, you kind of like crack the shell on, on an animal or a horse. I mean, to me, it's generally horses, but where you're just like getting them to open up again. And you just feel like it's a timely opportunity. And this horse is starting to open up. And this dear woman that's going to help me with this horse, with this woman that this other trainer is having some stuff go on. So when Tigger told me this is what we were talking about, I'm like, ah, this is perfect because this horse is in a position where he, um, is thinking he's going to trust again, you know? And, um, I feel like it's my due diligence to, help him with that so that was in a nutshell <laughs> so that's why this is so timely lizzie wow wow that that's um quite a story quite a story and i wonder about how, how would the horse be if there was no story attached what's your opinion 
say that again. What do you mean? How, how would I, I wonder how, how would this horse be if there were no story, like no past story and no current story, no drama of what things are like right now? You mean like how would I perceive the horse? Yes. Um, I would say, you know, for me, it's been, it's kind of, it's always, when I say it's gotten me into trouble and I, I don't mean that in a bad way, it's been always a good thing. I have always, I'm such an empath on stuff like this. Um, I, when I think of him, if I have a visualization, I think of him being aboard and, um, and like, I think that I would have gotten on this horse and would have been like, okay, have you checked his gut? Have you checked this? Have you done this? What are you feeding him? How much turnout does he get? You know, like what bit, like I would have gone through all of these things to find out what it was that made him feel like, you know, you know, when you put your hand on a horse and you, um, you know, in a good way, they, they react under your hand, like this horse, you would react and he would draw away from you. And I'm like, Oh, I got to change this. I've got, I've got to help it. And the cool thing is, is that he was very shut down, probably one of the most shut down horses I've ever known. But I think the strong force in this is that the owner is so dear and loves this horse so much in the horse. I just know that the horse knows that. And, you know, and here I am, you know, um, trying to go in and make this horse feel better, um, with like one or two rides or, you know, whatever. And the thing that's so cool about this is, is just how open I felt like this horse was to going, okay, I'm going to trust somebody or like a little bit, I'm going to open my heart or my whatever up one more time and how much that's changed this horse. And so when she was telling me this other stuff was going on, I was like, holy cow. Um, like, you know, how do we, how do, how do we preserve this horse's, um, emotional state of mind when, you know, physically he's not in a bad place. Everything about him is just shut down emotionally. And, and this new trainer, I mean, this trainer that's riding him is just an angel. And that's what I keep, I kept saying to the, to the owner. I'm just like, this horse, this horse is going to see that he's going to see that. I mean, this is a good, this is a good, this is a good person, but it's just a lot of responsibility because it gets into an area where I'm just like, well, I don't know what to do from here. Okay, Lizzie. <laughs> hmm. Okay. Well, that's a, that's a lot of information. Um, it, it seems like what you're having success with is just approaching the horse just as he is right now today. So you're being present with the horse, right, Patty? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And you're just saying, here we are right now. What would you like to show me? And then he, you know, it sounds like he moves away. He's giving you some body language slash energetic cues. And it doesn't sound like you're the type of person that would keep moving towards him and start probing for, well, why are you doing that? What is this? Yeah. What's the story here? That would shut the horse down or any animal down even more, which you know. So by acknowledging what you see just in black and white, just concretely stating objectively, I see you do this when I do this. And then paying attention to how you're feeling when he's stepping away, which sounds like it's the, okay, we need to ask more questions and find some help for these issues that could be kind of the obvious physical things that are coming up. 
mm-hmm. and then you're offering that solution, and then the horse, you know, is is going to say yes, this is helping, or no, this is not. So then you're you're kind of working through kind of like a flow chart here. So the most yeah. important piece from what you're describing is just acknowledging the horse as he is in the present now and then listening versus continuing to ask probing questions and triggering a defensive response, which then will shut these horses down for who knows how much longer. You're doing a good job keeping the door open because once these animals start to realize that their person is listening on this level and they're being sensitive to how the horse is feeling, then the bigger stuff will come through, but it's not a drama. It's just, I need help with this. And and that's something mm-hmm. you, you can provide when the time is right, because you can't push it to find the root of the issue here, because that's definitely not worked in the past. Right. And it's not likely to keep the relationship in a place that's functional. And yeah. this is where the human part, which is why I think this is such an important topic. We humans have a tendency when, when an animal is not feeling its best or has some physical struggles, we get in our heads of, with the story of it so um and i'm i'm learning how to do this um myself so i i'm no savant but it's get it's stopping the story patty it's just stopping there is no story the horse tells you this or you feel this from the horse and and it just doesn't become bigger than that it's not a oh my god maybe he's got ulcers or Oh my God, maybe he doesn't have this. Um, and I think we all, as human beings, we have this tendency to, once we we latch onto the story, then we tell our friends, and we tell our vets that we, you know, and, and, and the story just keeps, we hang on to the story. And I, I hate to bring Lizzie in, <laughs> like I'm going to, but... Um, I, I'm I would bracing s- myself. <laughs> oh, it's so funny, Lizzie. I'm bracing myself as well, and I have no idea where she's going with this. Okay. <laughs> go, Tigger, go. <laughs> the story is the drama. Mm. So, if, if we can let go of the story, so can the animal. Healing happens on multiple levels, and the the more etheric healing, the spiritual emotional healing, really gets stuck or stopped or thwarted when the animal keeps hearing the story. Or yeah, or you yeah, it, it it's that's so interesting because this particular horse more so than any horse I can remember in a long, long time. I mean, this horse has been here a while. He knows his job. Like you can feel like he's sort of like, you know, I knew what I was doing there for a while. And then somehow this got altered 
And I, you know, I like when, when I go to this barn and I'll teach other horses, I'm not like riding him for that day. I make a point to go by and say hello to him and let him know that I appreciate him. So that the next time I got, like I get on him, he is like, Oh, this lady's not that bad. You know, like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I know that sounds probably ridiculous to a lot of people, but the thing is, is that I just feel like if we don't, you know, if we don't go to these creatures, especially horses, I mean, whether it's dogs, cats, whatever with like, and I, and I, so what a timely message this is letting go of his story. Thank you yeah. both for saying, because a little bit, I, I, I mean, how I process stuff is I have to talk about it, talk about it, talk about it, talk about it, done. And I don't feel like this horse wants to talk about it. Yep. Like I just, I just, I just think he wants to go, man, I'm glad you got my back. I'm not going to give you everything I got right now. Cause you know, you may, you may mess me up too. Like what, not that anybody's messed him up. It's just, I think he was misunderstood, super sensitive horse. Um, but like, but like the last time I went and approached him, um, he came to my hand. He didn't stay there long, but he came to my hand. I was like, that's okay. huge. That's well, it was really huge. And I, and I, you know, and fortunately this owner, um, I'm like, I am saying stuff to you that sounds like absolute craziness, but I'm just, you know, to me, I'm all about the horse and, um, I, and, but the difference that, so like, I probably ridden him three times. And the first time I, you know, it was not great, but I could, I was like, Oh, this is going to be like the next time I get on him, this will be good. And I was hoping I could do like three days in a row, but it didn't work out that way. But when I went back, he remembered me. So the initial conversation in the beginning, even though I was thinking about the story, um, was cut like in half. And it just, you know, it just, it just proved to me once again, how resilient horses are, um, but how important it is that we listen. And sometimes like, I feel like we can listen, but not always know what to do with it. Yes. Um, huge, Patty. Huge. (laughs) That's, that's like the most medicinal thing that, that you could possibly do or that anyone could possibly do when you can tell there's been a lot of, um, you know, you have an animal that has had a lot of stories in its past or that someone really believes, you know, in that story, just acknowledging them for who they are, you know, something amazing about them that day, just what you yeah. see in the most neutral way, it, it, that is like the catalyst for the most positive shift for that horse. Yeah, because and we don't have to fix it. Not not right now, today, in this moment. It's just standing That's back. Yeah, and you're not. It's just you're just opening your heart. You're just being genuinely present, and just ne- taking it all in, looking at this big picture, and what are they trying to show you, or what are you feeling in their presence, and saying it mm-hmm. out loud or saying it to yourself, even if you don't have a fix. Yeah, the horse just goes. Finally, somebody sees me. Like, yeah, that's so epic. It is. Well, and I think, and I think also just, just, um, being able to, um, realize that you just said it so beautifully, just that you don't have to fix something right away, that things can take time. And that's where, and that's where it's, it's hard because there's so many levels, um, of all of 
every discipline. I mean, I've only ever really known dressage and I've been very fortunate and also not fortunate doing it, um, you know, in Wellington, most of my career and there's wonderful benefits to it. But then there's also this separation that every, every day I'm here longer. And I realize I'm like, yeah, um, I'm not doing that to my horse. I'm not doing that. I don't care. I I don't care. I I just don't care. I mean, I, I, I have no interest in, in, in being that person to make the horse do something that in the end, like, you know, I want this to be this long-term partnership. And I think what is interesting to me when you start thinking that way, um, because like I said, I'm older than 27, but younger than 65. (laughs) Um, But is that what's so cool about this is to just realize that there's so many other people out there Cause like, I, I'm just like, oh my gosh, I'm going through this weird journey in my brain of like how I want to train and what I want to be as a person and how I want to do this and all this. And there's so many people out there that are like, yeah, man, that's awesome. And I'm like, okay, sweet. I'm not by myself on this Island of wanting to, <laughs> to get this right. Um, and that's, that's, that's very rewarding. It's very, like I said, it's very rewarding to have owners that you, you, you're just sort of like, okay, I'm going to say this weird thing, but I want you to watch what your horse does. And they sit there and go, oh my gosh, I've been feeling that all along. I'm like, I don't know how we're going to fix this, but we're certainly going to make him feel like he's being heard, you know, and how that's changed them. So, I mean, it's just an ever evolving thing with all of them, but, um, but it's, it's such a huge responsibility to try to do it right, but not have these insane and tensions that it's got to happen immediately. Yes. Yes. And everything takes time to develop. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's not like we're not looking for a quick fix. I mean, you as a trainer would understand that I think better than anybody because those, those are a lot of these quick fixes are definitely not the way to keep a long lasting positive relationship with another being. So, so sometimes just in that acknowledgement, like what you were describing just sounded perfect because you, you were able to tell the owner, okay, I see what he's doing. I'm not sure how we're going to fix this, but you know, we're going to basically try to find something. I don't remember exactly how you worded it, but we're, we're listening. We get it. And I'm sure you found something positive to offer the horse that day. So oh, yeah. you're not really focusing on the problem, which doesn't get you very far either. That's just um, a lot of pressure. But that's, that's, a, that's a, such a great thing to, to say to everybody and to, to our listeners is that, you know, um, you don't have to have any clue what you're doing as long as you know in your heart that you need to do something right. And, and I will, the one thing that I'm going to say, it is so amazing just positively outwardly saying to your horse or to your dog or whatever, like, like just saying, Oh, you're so good. What a great job. You're trying so hard or, you know, like, and even when they're naughty going, well, okay, you're not, you didn't really try there. Like just talking to them, it just goes along flipping away and it just makes them so much happier, you know? Right. Right. Well, and the other the other piece that I would add to this is some something about um, 
when when we're in like a every every emotion has a frequency. It's measured in in hertz usually. So mm-hmm. like gratitude, love, joy, all of those are like at the very top. Those are those are the highest vibration, high frequency emotions and feelings. And then like lower down that um list would be like guilt and shame and fear and control and you know all of this other stuff. There's lots of graphics about this. But if if we can stay in the present and keep our connection and find something positive about whatever the animal is showing us in that moment, even if it's a struggle, even if they're in the middle of something hard, if you can find something that puts you in a greater um, resonance. So your energy, your field is vibrating at a similar level as the animal. Therefore, both of you feel heard in that moment. And then, you know, more, more can happen. But when it gets, tricky is if the human is in that fear, you know, they're, we're in our heads, we all do it. We're in our heads, we're in the problem solving, the, the fear, the um, trying to control it, trying to fix it. What are other people thinking, the judgment, all of that stuff. The place that, you know, everyone goes here at some point. But then we, we're, we lose our connection to the other being in that state. And then we make decisions, not all the time, but a lot of times we'll make a decision that we ultimately regret later on. It's it's just part of our learning. Yeah. Yep. It's, you know, we all do it. I mean, I I, I can say that because I've done it many times, but, but it's like, it's just a, it's a training. It's a human training thing where you just go, okay, what am I feeling right now? Okay, I'm in the drama, I'm watching my animal do something that's scary, or I'm going to have to troubleshoot, or, you know, I guess as a trainer, this, this thing, it keeps doing this thing. How am I going to you know, make my point to do something different during that frustration or whatever it is? The animal does not get it from that level. They're just feeling more of the human's angst and pressure. Amen. And like the, yeah, Amen. it's like the depleting emotions. Yeah. <laughs> the animal's yeah. like, I really need to survive this and, and break my connection with this human because the animals, they everyone here knows they, they live in the present. That's the beauty of like <laughs> so what innocent. we experience with them. Like they're our teachers of how to be more present. Yep. So when, when we're not, they kind of get, okay, human. I'm going to go take care of myself while you go figure out your human thing. And then we'll, we'll meet at the past later. So if we can just say, ah, I caught myself, I'm feeling fear right now. This, like this feeling in my body, this is what fear feels like. That's the same as when Patty, when you were talking about walking up to the horse, and that response the horse had and what you did with it, it's the same thing. You're acknowledging him, but now you're acknowledging yourself. And then you can shift it, but you have to acknowledge it first yep. without judging yourself. Yep. There's so much power in just standing back and yeah. looking at it. And so patient, you know, and <laughs> I think that's the hardest thing for anybody, especially young people who are more impatient. I mean, 
I just have always been patient. <laughs> I couldn't even get it out without making it. I'm kidding. I've always been patient. But I mean, just, you know, just having that ability to be patient. I think that's, you know, um, and just realizing, I mean, I mean, let's face it. Animals are incredibly, unbelievably, overwhelmingly resilient and talk about forgiving over and over and over and over again, you know, and I think that's the, the biggest thing that makes them the whole thing about training. And that's like when I'm training people, I've always been in, incredibly, I try to be positive because I just feel like if you can give somebody the power to feel, feel like they can do something, it's an amazing thing. And if you can do that with your animals too, it's just like, it's amazing the things that you can get these guys to do, especially when you, you believe in them. And, um, it, it's just, it's, um, I don't know. I think it, I, I don't know what you guys think, but I feel like so much of this, the older you get, it just boils down to patience and waiting and trying to figure out, you know, I have always felt that if a horse doesn't, and when I say always felt, I haven't always done this right. I've done it probably more wrong than I have. Right. But if a horse or a dog or something, or let's just basically say a horse, if they're not doing something, it's either they don't understand or they physically can't. That's a lot of responsibility for someone to understand. So if they, if you take those two things into consideration when you go and you train something, that's a game changer. Okay, what am I doing wrong that's making the horse not understand this? Or can you physically not do it right now? And having to figure, figure that so it all it then comes back around to the patient's part of it, having to sit back and go, well, I'm not going to get an immediate response, so I'm going to have to patiently wait and figure out which of these two things it is. I mean, don't you feel that way, Tigger? I mean, you know, when you're doing dressage, they just either they can't or they don't get it. Yeah. Or what if it's just not the right day? Yeah. Well, and then there's, and there's, well, yeah, I mean, but I mean, but. They don't feel good. They, they're. And whatever is going on with the rider is really going to influence the horse. If you feel pressure or fear or nerves or whatever um, that is not in that space of lightness and openness, um, then I think that's where what we perceive as training issues occur. Mm -hmm. Um, one of the dramas that I see particularly is the drama with a sick animal. And this is something that Lizzie and I you know, work with on a daily basis because that's why people contact us. Their animal has um, sometimes very serious issues. Sometimes it's multiple vet visits to try to figure out what it is and and the human who loves the animal, whether it be a horse or a dog or a cat or a guinea pig, is relating the story and is so wound up in the story of it, in the drama of it, that it really blocks the animal's ability to heal, to recover, to communicate, to let the human know. And the human, unbeknownst to the human, wrapped up in the story, in the drama, and this is what's going on, and this is what we did, and da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, um, doesn't recognize the animal anymore. It, 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 mm. not, in this, not in that basic heart-to-heart heart way, that when all the noise is gone, and it's just you and the animal, there's, there's that fundamental... I, I call it the heart bridge. 
between beans. And you've got to get out of the story. You've got to get, we've got to get out of the drama of it in order to reignite the bridge Mm -hmm. and the healing for both. Because the story keeps the human from healing as well. I mean, a lot of animals have physical challenges that come from the angst, the fear of their human. It's manifested in the animal. And, and, and that is such, is such an important component. I wish I knew it 30 years ago, I can tell you. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I... I think it's an ongoing um, goal for whether you're 20 or you're 70 years old to keep the bridge open and to keep working on ourselves to have access to to the heart. And it, Lizzie has actually gone through training on something called heart math. I call it heart map. Because I don't like the word math because I never liked math. So, um, yeah, so I I don't like the name of it, but I actually did a session with Lizzie on this. And and these are really cool, simple techniques that take a minute or two or three or five to do and get you back into your heart where you can then – be in that space with your animal, whether they're well or sick or perfect or um, challenged. And I, I highly recommend it for anybody that feels that they get caught up in their story. Um, and we do this with other humans. We don't just do it with animals. We do it with our friends and our family. And, you know, this is, this is the way we operate, but we can, we can, reconnect in a more powerful way um so i if you're interested uh lizzie has a website it's mariposaheartworks.com she does consults she does sessions to teach these very basic profound techniques that um, help you open your heart and you can use those techniques in a moment's notice. I mean, they're that simple. They're not complex. They're easy to do and it, it will absolutely get you out of the story. It will absolutely get you out of the drama, out of the fear. And it's pretty amazing. And I, I'm really glad I had my session and learned how to do this and I find myself doing it at really odd times um, like practicing like when I'm driving (laughs) (laughs) Uh, because it's that simple so um, Mm -hmm. in closing I'm really glad we had this case study to do because that was really perfect Patty and a, a reminder to all of us of of the work we need to do on ourselves to allow our animals to do their healing, their growth, their connection. 
Thank you, oh. Hedwig. Oh. You. Thank you. Thank you. yourselves. And I'm, I'm, I think, I think you having to wait an extra twenty-four hours to speak with us today, this week, Hedwig, is relevant to today's topic. Ready. Ready. We spoke. Ready. We we chatted a little earlier with Lizzie Meyer, and the topic of fear Lizzie. popped up here and there. She's lovely, isn't she? Lizzie's nice. Nice. What we what we want to know as the universe's only podcasting Pomeranian, what is yes. Hedwig afraid of? Oh, thunder! Terrified thunder! Oh gosh! Oh gosh! Oh gosh! Oh, gosh. I'm so scared of thunders. Aww. So scared, and also fireworks and guns oh, yeah. and yeah. guns. Are your siblings afraid yeah. of those things, too? Some of them are smart enough to fear these things. Some are not. <laughs> <laughs> to it's, be fair, my sister, mustard seed is deaf, so we cannot really claim this is a mark on her intelligence because she just can't hear. <laughs> right. Ah. So, so how does your human do anything to help you through these scary times when there's thunder and lightning and, and loud sounds? Well, she would claim she tries to help, but imagine her uselessness. I mean, we've been offered various options. Thunder shirt, useless. Being squashed between pillows, worse than useless. <laughs> Humiliatingly stupid. Benadryl, better. I mean, I do like a nap. <laughs> I had four CBD treats just the other day. Totally untouched. <laughs> Once I ate a whole bag of equilibrium bars, thank you, sugar. <laughs> yes, you did. I was stoned for like two days, but I was so afraid of stuff. Yeah. I stared at things while being afraid. <laughs> um, let's see. We've had CBD treats and drops. These do nothing for me. Uh, trazodone is not a good idea. No. <laughs> yeah, no. I am funny when stoned, but my brother, cowboy, <laughs> he's like psychotic. So, funny. so all these, all these things that you've tried, Hedwig, makes me wonder, yes. have you ever tried cheese? Does that help? Um, treats often distract me. Yeah. So, for example, a wheel of cheddar, two to four pounds, could probably get me through a short storm. Oh, Okay. <laughs> okay. And then the storm out. after the wheel of cheese would be really interesting. Yeah, <laughs> yes. yeah really. Funny. Yeah. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. I don't go outside if it's raining. No, of course not. Right. Uh, Why would you do that? You see how this gets no. complicated. Yes, it does. So, what yeah, would, you what would your really advice be to your through. fellow canines? Take cover. If they are. <laughs> Take cover. <laughs> okay. A closet, perhaps? <laughs> Closets are good. The car is better than the home. Really? Interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, loud music can help. Bad singing often is distracting, you know, so I can bark along in horror. Um, gotcha. 
Oh, so just so just put just put a YouTube video of karaoke on and turn it up really loud. Okay. That's doable. I don't know that mm. that would do it. I can tell you that mm, my human servant attempting to sing nearly anything is enough to make me want to vomit on my tiny shoes. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's a nice distraction. Um, let's see. White noise can help, like fans. Um, uh. Probably a quarter pound of dark chocolate would help. I'm just saying. Oh <laughs> yeah, that would help because you would be leaving the area where the storm was and heading to where the veterinarian was, where there might not be a storm going on. Oh, you're right. Very good point. I would not. No, because I'm like totally fine. But everybody else would be going to the veterinarian. <laughs> yeah, Hedwig can eat she, uh, eat chocolate and have no ill effects. That's because it's Hedwig amazing. is not really had- a dog. We know that. Yeah. Yes. Hedwig has has evolved chocolate. beyond dog. We know that. Yes. I am yes. I am an evolved being. You are. Well, thank you for joining us this afternoon. <laughs> Thanks, Hedwig. You take care. Thanks, yes, run along now. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. <laughs> and now it's time for the breed of the show. So we are at the wonderful part of the show where we do some sort of breed and I have chosen the great gray owl. Um, I, I'm fascinated by owls. I'm sure everybody is. I don't know. Um, I, I actually, I've seen more owls in Florida than I have anywhere else. Tigger, I don't know. Have you seen any in Virginia ever? Yes. We have a mating pair of barred owls who cooks for you, who cooks you can, for you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's pretty cool. Well, I, I've actually seen more owls in, um, in Florida and then occasionally in Michigan. But anyway, I'm just fascinated by them. But the great gray owl is one of the largest, um, tallest owls, approximately getting to about two feet, which is pretty big. Um, the, they, they're beautiful. They have a color pattern that is a silvery gray overall pattern with fine kind of white and brown streaking. They have two yellow eyes and two dark X's between their eyes, which is, which is quite cool. Um, across their neck sits a bow tie kind of shape with a black spot in the middle. Kind of neat. Um, their bill is yellow. Males and females look very similar. They are an incredibly powerful bird, despite only weighing about two and a half pounds, which comes in very handy because they eat a lot. (laughs) They eat up to like 10 um, small size mammal a day, like a vole or a gopher. Um, but this, this helps them because the areas that they are, or more Northern states like Canada, California, Oregon, um, they can break through very hard packed snow surfaces to, um, eat their prey, which would be one of those small animals. Um, like other owls, they can hear the slightest noise and know where it's coming from they actually have an asymmetry of their ear openings that can help them find their prey by just the sound alone. The left ear is actually higher than the right, which enables them for precise kind of directional hearing, which I just thought was fascinating. Um, And because of of this type of stuff, they're actually very hard to find. Um, They uh, they're found in uh, more of the northern states in Canada, um, in Canada area where they habitat, they they spend most of the year in a dense 
kind of wet evergreen forest. Um, and they'll hunt in like meadows and bogs. And in the states, such as like California and Oregon, they use more of like a pine and for, fir forest closest to meadows for also good hunting. But their diet consists of like voles, rodents, gophers, mice, moles, chipmunks. And in the winter, I just thought this was so fascinating. They can hear their prey making noise under the snow so they know where yeah. to precisely go and hunt them. I mean, think about that. But that also makes them very hard to, um, you know, because they're elusive because they can hear so well. So they're, they're not, you, you don't see them a lot um, because they've got such great, you know, sense of uh, hearing. Um, another fun fact is um, they don't build their own nests. They'll use like an old raptor nest or common raven nest and even um, nests built by his gray scroll, which I found fascinating. Um, yeah, it's just kind of like, um, but they'll put their eggs in the top of like broken dead trees. Like how, when you think about that, like how do they even, how do they even make it? But it's fascinating. So here's the even crazier part about it. Their clutch size, their, you know, um, is two to five eggs. So can like, can wow. you imagine battery looks good and dead. I'll just dump five eggs there. Find that <laughs> I don't know why I just thought that was fascinating. Um, the incubation period is anywhere from 28 to 36 days. The nestling period is 26 to 29 days. Again, think about that in the top of a dead tree somewhere. And this is just, I never really thought of, about this, but when they hatch, they are just little blind, helpless, little fluff and utters <laughs> that grow into these big, huge things. Um, mating pairs are only together for one breeding season. Um, and they, they have all sorts of different, uh, fascinating sounds they make, but they, they don't Tigger, What did you say? The, the one who cooks for you, who cooks for you? (laughs) Um, both of the, the, um, these owls just make a a low who sound. The males make a, a lower sound, um, than the females do and they have different voices or different sounds that they have for um when they're like protecting the the nest and eating and all of that fun stuff but um they're just an incredibly you know fascinating um owl and i'm not really sure why i picked the great gray owl which is different than the great horn owl um but it is definitely worth going and listening to um the sounds that they make um between the two of them you know and again they're only mating for one um one breeding season but um just listening to how uh, amazing these things are and then just watching them if you can find a video of how huge they are and how they make no noise going through the air stealth stealth yeah. It just, it just makes you appreciate, um, it just makes you appreciate how many things can like, can, can be happening somewhere and you have no idea what's going on. And I mean, I know that they live in more of a, uh, you know, uh, woodlands and stuff like that, but man, it just fascinates me, but, um, it's worth looking up, um, watching them flight because it's just like you said to your, they're just like stealth.
Here we are at Critter Nutrition, and the topic is protecting the gut from herbicide and pesticide exposure. Um, the full blog is available at Biostar US. This is a very long article. I'm condensing it just for healthy critters. But if you want to read the whole article and the the scientific sources that are cited, um, go to BiostarUS.com, go to our blog, and you'll see protecting the gut from herbicide and pesticide exposure. Recently, a customer notified me that she had her feed tested for glyphosate, which is Roundup, residue. She'd been happy with the feed until she noticed her horses weren't thriving on it as they had been. They were losing weight and muscle. She decided to have the feed tested, and it came back positive. The wide use of pesticides and herbicides exposes horses, dogs, cats, and humans to these environmental toxins. The current research is pretty clear about how environmental toxins affect the gut. It's not just the feed. According to a 2020 North Carolina State Extension publication, there are specific herbicides of concern registered for application to pasture, grain crops, lawns, turf, certain vegetables, and fruits that remain active in treated soil, in hay and pasture, and throughout the digestive tracts of animals, even retaining their activity long after being excreted in urine and manure. Some field reports indicate that complete deactivation and breakdown of these herbicides can take several years. According to the North Carolina State Extension, hay has been reported to have residual herbicide activity after three years of storage in dry, dark barns. According to a 2021 report from North Dakota State University, there are concerns about herbicide carryover in soils. Soils with a pH of less than 6 can allow certain herbicides to persist. Soils with less than 2% organic matter are at risk for herbicide carryover because they have less microbial activity. Another huge factor is rainfall. There is a higher risk of herbicide carryover when there is a below average rainfall in a growing season. More than 1 billion pounds of herbicides and pesticides are applied annually on farms, backyards, and urban areas in the U.S. These chemical compounds are contributing to biodiversity loss in soils, aquatic ecosystems, and the loss of invertebrates such as mayflies and dragonflies. Glyphosate, Roundup, is the most widely used herbicide in the world. It can be found in a majority of rivers, streams, and wastewater treatment plants, and 70% of rainfall samples. A 2022 study on stallion spermatozoa published in the journal showed that Roundup is more toxic than its active molecule glyphosate alone. Roundup was found to significantly decrease total and progressive motility, viability, and integrity, mitochondrial activity, and the percentage of live stallion spermatozoa. A 2021 study published in Nature demonstrated that glyphosate-based herbicides can disrupt host microbiota and affect host health. The researchers found a link that glyphosate plays in the dysregulation of homocysteine linked to inflammation. 
Tight junctions are the gatekeepers that regulate micronutrients and are the front line of defense in the GI tract. Tight junction dysfunction has been linked to environmental toxins. Glyphosate has been linked to injury of the tight junctions of the gut, as well as signaling pathways within the body, endocrine functions, and inflammation. Studies have shown that glyphosate exposure alters gut microbial composition causing dysbiosis and imbalance in gut microflora homeostasis. Opportunistic pathogens like E. coli and Staphylococcus have developed mutations that allow them to be unharmed by glyphosate, contributing to the imbalance. Maintaining a healthy ecosystem in the gut is one of the best ways to help your horse's body deal with environmental toxins. One of the best ways to help the gut microbiome is to ensure the diversity of beneficial organisms and provide the food they need to colonize and thrive. In addition, fulvic and humic acids in the diet help close the tight junctions of the gut. Environmental stressors are a real challenge for all of us, including our horses. Maintaining a healthy gut microbiome and gut ecosystem is essential. And now we've arrived at Coffee Clatch, and the topic is, what superpower does your horse or dog or cat think you have? (laughs) And my animals definitely think that my superpower is restaurateur. (laughs) Server, purveyor of food. (laughs) Fine dining. Uh, Yes. Um, not a la carte, but um, definitely um, menu-driven, um, individualized, and served with um, humor and love. And um, yeah, so they think I'm the greatest restaurateur in the universe. <laughs> Which makes sense. That's pretty good. Can't, I say, like I <laughs> Can't say I disagree with that. That's funny. Um, we have one. Our first greyhound, Bam Bam. She was our first greyhound. And Bam Bam thought we controlled the sunshine. (laughs) Being a dog, and especially greyhounds, I think, dogs love to bask in the sunshine, right? That's Mm -hmm. what they do. So she would spend a great deal of her day, every day, lying in front of the picture window in our living room, basking in the sunshine. And it took us a little while to figure this out. But some days, she would just be an absolute pest. She would go from human to human to human. We worked at home. We had people who worked for us. So there were easily a half a dozen people there all day, five days a week. And we spent lots of time sitting at desks and typing on computers. And she would just go from person to person. And she'd she'd look at you longingly. She'd maybe whimper. And then you'd pet her on the head because that's what you do when there's a dog nearby. And then she'd get fussy, and she'd walk to the next person, and then she'd wander around the house, and she'd throw herself to the floor, and then she would come back. And we couldn't figure out why some days our dog was so restless and pesky. And finally, somebody in the room pointed out that it's cloudy today. I wonder if she does this when it's cloudy. And by golly, they were right. So whenever the sunshine was turned off, she would be really kind of put out. 
And she would wander around the house going from human to human going, um, excuse me, excuse me, can you turn the sunshine back on? Oh, oh. <laughs> That's what she was doing. She, she, she wanted her sunshine and she didn't know what to do about it. So doggone it, ask the human. They're in charge of everything else. Okay, that's cute. That's so that cute. is cute. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was our superpower. Mm-hmm. Well, I um, I mean, Tigger, for sure, I was going to, I was going to absolutely say, I mean, my dogs just think that I can make food happen, but I constantly, I bring my two Aussies to the barn with me. They're always with me. They're always under my feet all the time. And I, and I've been wondering kind of why. And I think I've just figured it out. Um, so when I, I, when I get on the horses, I like to take them out for a little walk. So when I do that, um, I have, I have two Aussies, one who is an intact three-year-old male and the other is, uh, is a neutered male. And the intact male, um, is a little less hard to keep on t- attention to me. Cause he's always thinking about, you know, where he'd be going. <laughs> so I always have, I always have dog biscuits in my pocket which can be um, a good thing and a bad thing, but like, I just have to, you know, touch my pockets and if they see me, they, they come running. But the funny thing is, is that um, when I'm done my day, they literally follow me everywhere. And I like to the point where I'm like, okay, I mean, everybody, no one goes to the bathroom alone. If you have a dog, blah, blah, blah. But to the point where it's a little annoying, they follow me in the closet. They follow. If I were to go into small (laughs) holes, they would follow me because I'm going to tell you why they think I'm going to take my britches off. And when I do that, dog treats just magically appear because they fall (laughs) out of my See, you're a and giant I, dog treat dispenser. I am a pez, a pez dispenser. You are a pez. You're a pez. <laughs> a pez dispenser. And I just now figured it out after how many years of why they will, like, I like I could go in the trunk of a car and they think I'm going to take my britches off and just stuff falls. And it's so funny because it happens all the time because I, I they're just packed full. I mean, I look like I have cottage cheese in my in my pockets because they're just full of dog treats because, God forbid, I didn't have one when... So you just really, you really helped me by this topic because now I understand why they're under my pocket. They're they're always under my my feet as I speak right now. I have I have two very large Australian shepherds under my legs because I'm sure that I'm going to stand up and something's going to fall out of my pocket. So they think that my superpower <laughs> is that I'm Spencer. Well, isn't that great that you recognize your superpower? Well, it because at first I was going to be like, oh, my dogs don't think I have one. I'm like, you know what? I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> They've been trying to tell me all along. Thanks for listening, everyone. And thanks to our sponsor, Biostar US. You can find them online at biostarus.com. Get the Horse Radio Network phone app on iOS or Android by searching for Horse Radio Network in the App Store. It's free and easy to use. For details about today's show, go to HealthyCrittersRadio.com, where you can find links, photos, and more information about our guests. As always, we love your feedback. Please follow us on Facebook under Healthy Critters Radio. Be sure to visit all the great shows on Horse Radio Network at HorseRadioNetwork.com. (laughs) 